Thanks for joining us for another Total Water Polo podcast. This week, we feature a conversation with two Division Three head coaches located on the East Coast. They sit in pretty uncertain waters about what comes next for their programs at this point, and we talk about that. The two are Austin Ringheim of MIT and Max Schlegel of Johns Hopkins. They speak with Michael Rondazzo and me about what they guess is in store for their teams in the coming months and how their athletes are dealing with bizarre academic experiences. Plus, they reminisce about the good old days way back in 2019 when the Engineers and Blue Jays finished third and fourth at the first ever Division Three championship tournament in Whittier. Here are excerpts from that conversation that we recorded via Zoom in September. Today we have Max Schlegel, head coach at uh, Johns Hopkins. He's an LMU graduate and had some success in the high school level coaching in Maryland, which is a, a topic that I plan on uh, delving into. And then some guy named Austin Ringheim, who I'm, I think I know pretty well. Uh, he's the head coach at MIT, also having had a great deal of success after an assistant coaching job at Austin College. He's a UCI guy, um, and uh, and I, we welcome both of them. Thank you. Thanks, James. Thanks for having us. Uh, Michael Randazzo, of course, is online as well. He's the he's the most prolific water polo writer in the entire United States and t- tends to delve into things. But um, we had, I guess, a, a sort of agenda to go over because, first of all, everybody knows that this is the most bizarre time in water polo history, not to mention the rest of actual real life. But let's, let's start with you, Max, because... Um, First of all, I'm fascinated by your program. Like I don't, I have always wondered how you had such such success in a place that has high school water pool, but not very big, and a pool that is, shall we say, less than optimal. That- yeah, that's a. I think that's an understatement for sure on the pool. Um, and yeah, I mean, the the surrounding area has has five private schools I think six now there's actually one got added um since I coached at Calvert Hall which is great and hopefully more happen we actually didn't have public swim teams for high school until my senior year in 2007 so we weren't doing swim teams until then so you know hopefully more schools have availability to do the pool you know in the future obviously not right now nothing's really growing um I think the local Anne Arundel pool where I grew up got shut down within a week because they had a big COVID boom or something like that. So it's a challenging area, um, but I do have two guys from Maryland on the roster. So mm. I grew up here and played Division One at LMU. So it's it's possible, you know, you, if the guys are putting in the work and, and they want it, they can make it happen in Maryland. So. Yeah, um, Maryland, again, is a very interesting spot because it has a very concentrated kind of uh, a brand of high school water polo that everybody's pretty close together. It's sort of like Chicago in that way. Like they say it's Illinois, but it's really just Chicago and, uh, and the north side as well. But you do produce some players. I would, I would say um, one question with regard to uh, Maryland is, is there any momentum as far as you know toward um, girls playing high school water polo? You know what? I, I don't know. I mean, things like uh, Calvert Hall is a is an all boys school, right? Um, and and you have to deal with that. Um, I think McDonough is a it would be a great school to to start that. Um, but you know, I don't really follow it because Hopkins doesn't have female water polo. So, you know, while it would be 
great if Hopkins started the FEMA award. I mean, you have two schools in Maryland so far. I, I know um, Mount St. Mary's is joining um, and us in Navy and both just have men's team. So, you know, there, there isn't any females growing up being able to even go to a local college game and, and seeing women play, you know, they'd have to go out of state. So I think maybe if we started that, um, maybe there'd be more incentive for these high schools. Uh, if they have a chance to say, Hey, you're, you'd go to Hopkins and play water polo that they might start one. Um, so that might be more of something for us to do than, than starting in the high school, but I haven't heard anything. What's the impediment to Johns Hopkins to having a, a women's team? You know what? I, I, up until I became a coach, this was such a part-time job that, you know, I don't, I don't think it was even looked into. Um, I still have a second job um, being the head coach for Hopkins. Um, you know, I, I know Austin also teaches classes. Um, I work at a, in the aquatics for a local children's hospital and mm -hmm. final court injury department. So, you know, I think it's the desire of water polo. I think in the future, it might be something I, I bring up to Hopkins myself. Um, but, you know, just having a coach that's on the staff all year long, which is nine months, uh, is something new. Last year was the first year. Normally, it's you come in for the season and then you're out. So, and and were you able to affect that change? Was that part of the transition when Ted uh, Bresnahan stepped down that you were able to say, "Hey, you want me to take over this program? This is what I want." Yeah, uh, essentially, um, it it was something where you know I was in place there. The the guys were on my side as far as the team. Uh, I've been in connection with the AD and, and I told him, you know, I, I don't want to do it like this. If, if you want us to have success, if you want us to go and try and win a national championship, which I knew was in the works, um, mm -hmm. you know, Ted, he's always in the know. So he <laughs> on that, that was in the works. Um, you know, I, I, I can't just pop in for a season and then ignore the team for, for nine months out of the year. It's just not going to work. Right. Though, though on that point, what, what I think was interesting about um, Coach Bresnahan is that he, he was able to create, well, really foster such success given, you know, a part-time role. And you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you say, hey, you can do it in this construct, but Ted, let's face it, Ted was, you know, we're not going to see another Ted Bresnahan maybe ever, but the way yeah, he was recruited. And, and thankfully, you know, he, he didn't leave to go do some other jobs. Um, you know, he was down in Florida and, and we talk all the time and, and he's mentored to me in, in the Hopkins program, even though he's not around, which is absolutely great to have all his wealth and knowledge and 29 years of success at Hopkins. So, yeah, no, it's an amazing record. Um, Austin, your experience, you're, you're obviously at an MIT and, and, you know, Cambridge, Boston, not an easy place to, to make your way, but you've moved up there. And, and certainly last year had a, a fantastic season, finishing third in the, in the country. But now you're coming into a new season with all these, you know, sort of challenges, um, not the least of which is a, a virus that's, you know, interrupting all play, all everything. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting um, for us, the gentlemen. Um, you know, I definitely walked into a good group of of athletes right the, the guys on campus are are phenomenal from from everything from just the maturity level to their focus their competitive drive and so uh, I think that's those kind of three stables have definitely carried us through this time um, mainly because it is uh, you know such such unprecedented um, such an unprecedented situation that we've definitely um, 
try to just stay as positive and, and as connected as possible, um, you know, throughout this time and coming back, uh, hopefully, hopefully in the spring, if not the fall of 21, um, and hopefully we can pick up kind of right where we left off. One thing that, you know, is, you have to ask the question, but, but how do, do both of your programs function when pools are closed, um, school potentially is online, um, you don't get to see your athletes. You're doing dryland. You're doing Zoom. I mean, really, if you could both talk a little bit about that, because I, I think the new normal, which sucks. Uh, sorry, you have to edit that out. But the new normal is that, you know, um, I see my athletes through a Zoom call. They call me up. They do this. I, I don't get to actually have physical contact with them. Yeah. Um, and for us, not only do I not get physical contact, I can't provide physical workouts for them. Whoa. So, so they never got a chance to come to campus and be medically cleared. So without being medically cleared, I can't say, okay, I want you to do 100 burpees. Nothing like that. Um, so I can Zoom call. Um, and NCAA AA for Division Three put out, you know, we have a certain amount of days, like 114 practices. So, you know, I might take two days out of the week and, and Zoom call with them. And we can go over a game film. Um, we can just, I, I'm more focusing on team bonding and making sure that everyone's mental health is, is okay with everything going on right now. And I'm sure Austin feels the same way um, because we, we can't do anything really other than that. Um, you know, it's not football where I'm, I'm teaching defense how we play or, or doing anything like that. Um, so we're, we're team bonding and, and hopefully they're doing stuff on, on their own to stay in shape and, um, I know if they personally reach out to the strength and conditioning coach, they can provide uh, optional stuff, but I can't require anything. I can't ask them to do anything physical. So uh, it's definitely difficult. I don't know if Austin's in the same boat. Yeah, I would say we're in a, definitely in a very similar situation. Our strength and conditioning coach in the spring was able to um, give all of our athletes and all throughout our entire athletic department some body weight workouts that um, our gentlemen have, have been able to do. But for me, really the message was, you know, not everybody has the same resources, um, kind of as you guys alluded to. So it's really about uh, making sure that they take advantage of the resources that they have and maintain some sort of general level of, of health and fitness, right? And, and like, like Max alluded to earlier, the, the main goal, especially for our institutions is, is the mental health component and the, the academics and how are they transitioning from on campus off vice versa and, and how can we continue to support that, you know, throughout the entire way. And so for me, uh, similar to Max, my my mentality and, and my fun kind of focus has definitely shifted less from the actual kind of water polo tactical side of things to more about kind of hey how you doing? <laughs> What's been a yeah. you know, couple days like like how's school going? Kind of everything from that that nature and um, just making sure that they know that that we continue to care for them and, and they have somebody in their corner for uh, you know getting through it. It's obviously been a lot longer than than we all anticipated. So just trying to keep everybody in the right mindset. Um, and again, just make sure that, you know, we're, we have kids scattered throughout the country. So some kids have had access to pools since summertime. Some still don't have access to pools. So it's really about um, whatever opportunities and, and kind of, you know, situations they're able to take advantage of, uh, you know, we try to encourage it, but we, we don't have anything mandatory. I don't, you know, we're not locking in Zoom workouts or anything like that. Yeah. Totally. What have your guys told you specifically? And what I mean is that uh, you, you mentioned that you're, you're attending to their mental health, that they're coming back to you about how you know, strange all of this stuff is. And we know what it looks like sort of generically or abstractly. It, what have you been hearing from your guys? And both of you can chime in on this, 
that is the maybe the most prominent thing that's so strange about our current situation for them. You can go first, Austin, if you like. Yeah, I mean, for for us, it's just the biggest thing is just our institution is is really built on tons of hands-on learning. We love to build engineering, right? We love to to construct things, and so for us, it's um, just definitely been a challenge in terms of of how connected the class or the dense of, of uh, the academic rigor is um, because of the transition on to, to virtual lifestyle or, or onto Zoom and, and whatnot. And so I know the kids are, are trying to do their best in terms of get the resources to do their labs and build remotely and stuff. But for us at the end of the day, a lot of our stuff is hands-on and um, really try to get that technical and, and build kind of um, as, aspect of, of our academics. So that's kind of been the biggest um, struggle. And then for us, I mean, we're, we're just like any other, any other student in terms of training transitioning abruptly from, you know, hey, you have X, Y, you know, four or five days to get off campus and, and go home and pick up and pack up all your stuff. So um, I think the initial shock is obviously kind of set in and, and they're kind of in their groove. And um, for our athletes specifically, they definitely, you know, more recently um, have said they've seen tr uh, tremendous improvement in the fall in terms of like how our, our classes are being structured and how things have been um, really going you know, through this process rather than um, kind of so abruptly in the spring, trying to make up for the last uh, last half of spring semester. So all good stuff on our end. I, I think for our guys, I think it was, even, even though we advised them to, you know, stay at home, stay where they are, uh, all our upperclassmen came back and are living together and kind of made their own bubbles. So while, you know, school and I wanted them not to do that, in the end, I think it's good for them to be together. It's good for them to support each other in that way. And I think that's helped me as a coach know that, you know, they're not sitting at home and not doing anything and, and getting depressed. Um, you know, and, and I just texted an a alumni who, Finn Banks, who's one of our best players, still lives with some of the guys. He was saying he was doing a project uh, with Max Fleming because they live in the same house you know they, they can they're quarantined together if they anything happens so um, you know I, I was happy to hear that they have that connection that you know their desire to be together and I talked to their parents and all that stuff and they were made, assuring me it was going to be safe even though you know they're adults they can do what they want um, but something academically what I've heard from them and other coaches is um, teachers have actually become more accessible to help them. Mm -hmm. In the past, they're just saying, you have to do this. It's got to be done. And like they're expected to fall in line and do it. Whereas now uh, I heard a teacher expanded his office hours from two hours to six hours because so many kids were coming in and, and trying to get knowledge from them. So that's more supportive. Um, our leadership, um, his first name's Al. He's done an amazing job trying to reach out and uh, do diversity tours, do uh, COVID and all these things and set them up to where, you know, we're trying to provide so many things for these kids that it, yes, it's going to change. It might not be in person, but you know, we're doing the best we can. That's the positive stuff. The negative stuff is I get asked every week if, Hey coach, can we go on campus and use the tennis courts? Can we use the gym? Can we go on the track? And I have to say no every single time that right. campus is closed. You can't go on there. I know you want to work out and just have fun. 
Um, so that's the sort of stuff, you know, it's good. We're doing the best we can and, and schools being proactive and trying to give them the best opportunities they can. But there are still so many negatives uh, out there with dealing with COVID and, um, you know, just got to make it through and, and hopefully it, it passes and, you know, we can move forward as if we did in the past. So. Have those changes, have the, the really profound changes that have taken place, have they manifested themselves in any change in, say, grades? Like, I know you guys have to look at that stuff on an ongoing basis. So I know for us, they have a choice this semester um, whether they want their grades to count. Um, so we're not in a necessarily pass-fail. Um, you have to get at least a C to get credit. So it's not necessarily pass-fail. You know, it, you can't get a D and still pass the class. Um, but let's say someone wants to go to med school um, and med schools around the country have still said, you know, we're going to be looking into how you do. Um, at the end of the semester, they can request that instead of it being that sort of pass fail idea, like you get credit or not credit, um, they can have their grades. That being said, I don't have their grades right now. Um, I'm sure I'll get updated soon. They haven't said, oh, yeah, this is midterm time so that's coming up in a little bit and that's mostly when they get some of their bigger grades um so I, I don't know as of yet but there is opportunity for them to you know if they're really struggling we also have uh, a ton of tutors that they can request and all that stuff um but yeah i don't i don't have exactly that information yet hopefully soon we'll know and it hasn't affected them too negatively yeah we're we're in a similar boat too so we have the uh pass no record into effect. So instead of a pass fail, they just, there's no record of them taking that course and um, they can take it again if they would like later on at a different time. But, uh, and then we have a letter grade, no record as well. So the ABC, um, no record as well. So that's kind of some of the stuff that that's been in place. And um, awesome enough, our PN, our PNR system has actually been, um, been around for, for a handful of years now in terms of um, we like to have that for income. We have that for incoming freshmen um, to really help their acclimation to to life on campus and really balancing um, athletics, living away from their family for the first time, academics, um, and instead of having them feel that extra kind of stress of of trying to get A's and, and B's in the classroom, their first semester or first um, couple goes at their GIR courses, um, they can take those for for pass no record as well. So that's kind of another thing that um, we were fortunate to have that we were able to just kind of take what we've already um, have had to put in place and, and just kind of implement it throughout, um, particularly last spring and then um, also for, for this fall too. So it's all good. And then we have, um, we actually have our seniors on campus. Um, so we're having, we just invited our senior cohort back on campus. Um, we have about 900 uh, students on campus and things are going well. So um, kind of what I talked about um, in the last um, kind of conversation was, um, our hands-on experience, right? So for us, a lot of that senior level courses are those hands-on build kind of competitive type courses. And so what we're doing there is um, all of our, our lectures are still online. Some of them are already pre-recorded or some of them are on Zoom, but our seniors will actually still have um, lab time. So they'll have the opportunity to go in and um, get that, that building kind of uh, hands-on experience and stuff like that. So that's kind of some of the stuff that we've been able to do. And um, last, everything's been going well. So our students moved on campus, uh, first weekend of September um, and then they did a, a showed up with a negative COVID test and then had a, a seven-day self-isolation and then pending a second negative COVID test after that week then they're able to kind of move in their pods of, of classes or their buildings that they're able to have access to based on their majors and um, we're 
Right now, just students living on campus have access to our um, athletic facilities. Um, some of them are our reserve um, kind of basis, but um, we have two seniors living on campus. The other two are still uh, back home. So the two, the two seniors uh, got really good feedback in terms of how we've been able to do this kind of reacclimating back onto campus. And uh, a couple of the lifeguards said they've already seen both of them on, in the pool a handful of times already. So it's, it's all good. And um, yeah, just making sure that we continue to get as much, um, you know, normalcy or, or moving back into the right direction that we can, um, you know, in this fall. I think Michael has a question for you, but first I wanted to note, it makes me want to go back to school, knowing this pass, no pass thing, you know, your <laughs> freshman year. I could have definitely used that. For yeah, sure. you get your butt My freshman kicked. year was rough. Yeah. I mean, especially with water polo, when you're coming in for a fall sport, I flew across the country to go to school, and all yep. of a sudden you're supposed to go to 18 credits of courses and 20 hours of water polo, and then travel every Thursday and every weekend and still do well in school when I'm free for the first time. Whew, not good. <laughs> yeah, it's a transition for sure. Well, and, and the point, and this is more comment than question, but when you look at what uh, Ted Minnis has done at Harvard, and, and uh, he's discussed that, he looked at his program and he didn't say, hey, I'm going to pose this schedule, a typical water polo schedule on his athletes because he knew that would not work, you know, and I think this is indicative of what you guys are both talking about in this circumstance, but in a larger discussion, which does bring to the question is that you're, you're represent two of the most, uh, I don't want to say elite, but most prestigious academic institutions in the country. H how does this all play together that not only do you have to get these really smart kids through your admissions program, but now you're not even in a position to, to, to guide and shape them. Luckily, they are really smart and they're super motivated because if a kid can get into Hopkins and MIT, you know, chances are they can, you know, figure out Einstein's theory relatively. So, so Austin, if you want to talk a little bit about how that sort of factors in, you know, that these super smart kids, they are motivated to do something. And now you as a coach got to figure out what they can do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just kind of taken it in stride. I think that's part of kind of been part of the challenge right over the last few months on my end is in terms of just continuing to keep them engaged and, and all that stuff in terms, especially, I mean, and uh, you know, I feel bad for these, these current seniors in high school, right. In terms of getting them a more, more or less a traditional recruiting process and trying to get them that exposure and, and whatnot. And that's kind of my biggest focal point right now is, is how can we continue to try to get, get kids through the application and admissions process when they've never even been to Boston, let alone on campus. Right. So there's kind of other, um, some challenges within that, but, um, no, I, I think the biggest thing is, is like I, like you said, like just the, the nature of, of the student athletes that we are recruiting, I think they are a little bit, they, they already set themselves apart, right. In terms of the maturity of the organizational side of things and, and really their competitive drive. I'm sure Max has had the same thing, but like yeah. all my athletes have that's that drive, not only in, in the pool, but above and beyond and what they want to do outside in our, our community. And so um, I think that's my biggest kind of thing that I've done is really try to help um, empower them to, to continue to do that um, throughout this time, because I've been, um, Quite frankly, that's been a big challenge of ours um, over the last few few months, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just touching on kind of both the things Austin talked about and you, that they they are smart, they're motivated, they're coming to these schools, um, in foremost to get a the job that they want afterwards. Absolutely. So we're focused on that. We push that, and and that's what I think we both sell 
um, when we're recruiting kids. You know, you're, yes, you want to come here. We want to win as coaches. Of course we do. Um, we want to compete. But these guys are coming here to become engineers, to become doctors, um, to, to do pretty much anything at either school and get a degree from there and then go on and, and do what they want to do for the rest of their life. Um, I think we as coaches at these institutions need to always keep that in mind and, and no matter how competitive we want to be, that that is our priority, that's our number one goal and, and to push that. Um, as far as recruiting, you know, this is, it, when you're trying to recruit a kid and, and tell them that they need to have these high standards yet they haven't been able to take an SAT for yeah. months, yeah. I mean, what do you do? You know, it's one of the most difficult and challenging times for recruiting, I think, ever. Uh, not only do they not have games we can go see, but they can't take a test that would help them get into the school. So um, I, I Hopkins has gone test optional, um, but it's optional, meaning if enough kids have to score, <laughs> the kids yeah. who don't, they're going to be out of luck. Um, so you want to lead kids on, but you also don't want to have no one apply because they haven't been able to take a test. So, you know, we're, we're in some challenging times and just trying to navigate through that. Um, but yeah, recruiting has been definitely more difficult than it was in the past. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. And now, part two of today's conversation. that point you know uh we talked a little off offline about max fleming who you know right. if you, i talk about a story for hopkins water polo last year it was max fleming who had not played the position was an athlete from what i understand and you know yeah, bowling, yeah and got you guys to the national championship which that is no small yeah. feat how do you find a way to replace a, a, a you know find a goalie that can insert into the position so that you can be as competitive as you want to be yeah, I mean, like, like I, we discussed prior to this, you know, so I obviously, that was going to be my number one spot that I was recruiting a goalie. We needed a goalie. I loved Max. We had the best season I could ever ask for playing a kid who had never played water polo before. And, and the success that we had and the way the team rallied behind him and never got mad at him for the easy goals. But no, a goalie was my number one uh, thing. Um, we got one in early decision. Some things happened. He wasn't able to come. Then we got one in regular decision. Uh, COVID hit, his parents had their own company that got hit and he couldn't afford to come to Hopkins. So Max is going to be the guy again next year. Um, so yeah, I mean, COVID has already affected the 2021 season. Um, so again, two years in a row goalie being my number one, uh, thing I'm looking for. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's a great story. He'll, I can't say he'd never play water polo this season. Hopefully <laughs> teammates, uh, still rally behind him. Even though he's got some experience in, if we do play, um, you know, we have just as successful season as as last year. So that's a story that actually I think people know throughout the country, and because you got some publicity on ESPN, I think, or whoever broadcast the games on the East Coast, yeah. and. Yeah, 
Yeah, right. Exactly. And uh, so you're saying that he's coming back for another year. He's playing, you have him penciled in as your starter. What's yeah. he doing now? Like how can you, what can you imagine <laughs> is going to be between a brand new player, but two years in rather than one year in. So I think uh, I, I'm so lucky. Um, so I had John Wilson, who is a graduate of Johns Hopkins and, and was a multi-year All-American, um, grew up playing for Menlo under uh, Jack's, you know, guidance of goalie. And, and everybody knows he's, he's Jack Bowen, right. So I was super lucky. And, and he, he grew from that first day. It was unbelievable. And I think it's one – him just being a pure athlete. You know, he's a wrestler. He knew exactly what his body was doing at all times, which was awesome. Um, so we had to teach him the technique. We had to teach him that there's a shot clock, and if it's under 10, someone might just throw it up at you or, you know, being prepared for all those things. And John did a really good job. I would have loved to have seen him have a full off season where we, you know, we get limited practice in four weeks. I think it's the same for MIT where we can get in the pool. But the pool would have been open for him to go and his teammates shoot on him. I, I, I can't say he's been in a pool since we left national championship. Honestly, I, I don't think he has been. Um, but again, that I think that's the case for a lot of guys and, and, you know, we'll just have to go forward and at least he knows the rules. At least he knows the game flow this year. So uh, that's what I can ask for. And, you know, again, if we do the same thing we did last year, I, I'll, I'll be happy. Now, and Austin, you're also looking at a change in goalie. Um, you, you, you have to replace, uh, and I'm going to blank on his name, but uh, huh. a senior who was really spectacular, I thought, last year. And I saw him play at, at, at St. Francis. Not an easy pace to, place to play. You did not beat the Terriers that time. But you know what? He had a great game, and, and you were super competitive. So, so how does that transition again? You've got a hot freshman coming in, I think, from uh, Menlo. And uh, you want to see if he can challenge to be number one. But, you know, uh, I guess you got to go to the videotape. Yeah, yeah. So Hayden, Hayden was a stud in the goal. So Hayden, yeah, graduated all – all that good stuff. Um, in terms of our freshmen, yeah, we were able to bring in um, a, a freshman goalie this past uh, recruiting class um, from Southern California. He's from modern day, um, Colin Weaver. He's um, definitely, we expect him to come in and compete with our current two um, other goalies on our roster. We have a, a current junior and a current senior. Um, you know, with the senior, we're still kind of waiting to hear what his next plans are, whether he chooses to use that year of eligibility or not is is kind of on the back burner, but that's another conversation we'll, we'll tackle. But um, no, with with our junior Conrad from uh, from LA from South Pasadena and um, Colin, it's definitely going to be a fun battle. Um, I would expect them both to uh, really grow. And and Conrad showed tremendous growth last year in terms of just has his exposure to high level shots and seeing those games. And we really tried to put him in as many high level situations as possible to really let him. T uh, have that experience last year. So then this year with, you know, with the understanding that, Hey, this is your time to shine. And, and, you know, the spot is all yours until, until otherwise um, type thing. And so really, you know, for me, my biggest thing is uh, I just offer the opportunity for every kid, the best, best seven guys that, that are ready to go is, is kind of who I play. I don't have a hierarchy system and um, you know, it's going to be a really fun battle to watch them to uh, compete. So I'm super stoked. And, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're always, always looking to continue to add depth in, in every position. And so, um, you know, Hayden and, and particularly Clyde, they, they leave some big, big holes for us to fill, but uh, 
No, we're looking to lean on some uh, Max is smiling over there. We're, yeah. we're, we're he destroyed us in that third place game. <laughs> yeah, he, so good. So he had a, he had a good one. But uh, <laughs> hopefully, we can we can find enough uh, depth within our our program and our roster to 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 withstand some of those losses. But we're we're excited to see kind of what what the future holds for us, and and we get to return some really high level athletes, and um, hopefully, we can keep using that core to to our advantage to push our culture and and program in the right direction. You just uh, you just introduced the next subject that I was going to talk about anyway, which was, you know, we have you too. Oh, nobody's going to see this, but you're on Zoom. And the last time you guys, I think, saw each other in person was at that third place match in California. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so a, a couple things because it was the first one of its kind. Like there, you know, obviously this season is a, is up in the air about how this is going to work. But the first Division Three championship, um, maybe you could help describe a little bit about how important that was for your program and other programs that are vying for a, you know, a place to go play in the, in the post season, but also maybe you could, you know, talk to each other about uh, how that game actually went. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of like details in, involved with, with my team and uh, I, I don't want to make any excuses, but all I can say is we got dominated in, in whole set. Um, and it's one of those things where if you got a kid in goal who, can't take an outside shot um you can't drop or they're just going to toss it in so you know we we chose to leave our two meter guy on an island then uh mit you know clyde was was on that day and he was raring to go um so i mean yeah just not not a good game in our two meter uh defender um our starting two meter defender got a concussion two days earlier uh, or two two games earlier, so we didn't have him, and it is what it is. Like I said, I don't want to make excuses. We <laughs> in that third place game, so no, I'll definitely definitely add on to Max. It was definitely a different different look than than we saw them in uh, in Pittsburgh. So I think the refing was was, a lot. <laughs> and I, I took advantage of that uh, in the Eastern <laughs> tournament for sure. We were playing. Hey, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning how East Coast refing works now. Yeah, <laughs> playing in a six lane pool uh is something we also know how to do uh so and that being said when you know when we're leaving a guy in two meters on an island and we're playing in a six lane pool we can crash so much quicker and that helped us win that eastern uh championship for sure and then we get out to Whittier and it's it's a, a larger wider pool they spread us out more we're not able to get back in time and and you know that's the game difference right there for sure and on our end it was pretty Pretty much vice versa in terms of we're we're used to big water and practicing and playing in big water and so when we were uh, forced to shrink our offense we were kind of a little bit flustered and and they were kind of all over the place right they did a great job in terms of making it feel that they had seven or eight defenders for for the six that they had in the pool which I know is the ultimate goal right so right. Uh, that was awesome and then you know obviously transitioning into big water we were able to feel a little bit more comfortable in, in our zone and really spread out and, and kind of play our style of offense so it was a, a good transition um, for both of us I know it was a big a big hurdle for for division three I mean for me I played division three water polo and I played at Whittier College and I know that if I had an opportunity to compete for a national championship it would have been something un undescribable you know fortunately I'm able to compete for it on the other end but I know as a, as a, a player and, and, and a student like the ultimate you know I know both programs for us like 
there is no MBA, right? NFL, we can get a couple of years in Europe, but at the end of the day, it's really about getting the best education possible and taking advantage of those opportunities and while competing at the highest level. And so I'm sure it's a very similar kind of pitch or spiel that Max gives, but like for us, and I know Max does a good job of this too, like we're trying to really put gray that boundary of what it means to be a division three program by rule, but really that division one culture, attitude, schedule. Yep. Um, and, and really giving us this national or having this national championship in place really reinforces our long-term goals in terms of continuing to not only build and continue to have that continued success at the, the division three level, but really just continue to, to recruit the right athletes that want that division one opportunity to win a division one conference championship while in, in all reality, right, having a 25% chance of winning a national championship. Right. Where, where in, in the other side, like not every kid can say that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would agree. It gives us something to play for, honestly, um, mm -hmm. being totally honest. I mean, while I would love to say we're going to get the guys to come to Hopkins that are going to beat Bucknell, Navy, GW, Princeton, Harvard to make play, you know, UCLA in a national championship. I, I mean, what? <laughs> love to say that but it, it, right. it's not realistic right so our goals for conference and our goals for division three are, are separate and so you know the pinnacle used to be for d3 to to be voted on to be the top team and and you know there's you know voting and i reach out to this coach and this guy reached out to this coach and you know some previous ted i know was good at that i'd much rather come down to this yeah we we Top two from these, top two from the West, have something to play for at the end of the year, have a fair chance at it too. You know, you're not competing with guys who have four scholarships to give out and they can recruit and have guys blue chipped or whatever they have. Um, so it just feels fair and it feels motivating. And, and I know two of the recruits we got, um, a big selling point was that, hey, uh, we're going to compete for a national championship and it, it is a fair thing to say that I want to win one in your four years of college I think that's mm -hmm. the goal that we have for this freshman group coming in that I I wanted to win one in those four years and um and I don't think that's unrealistic so I think that was a big selling point and 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 keeping them motivated during the season two when you're getting beat by 10 to buck now every year and that's all it is you're, you're going to get down on yourself but when you go and then play GW and you beat them by 10, you know, it, it balances out a little bit more. So you, I, I'm, I'm or, sorry. I meant W and J, not GW. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you, you talked Austin about blurring the lines between division one and division three, which is, you know, back in the, the day when I played at UC San Diego, it was division three. So I, I understand that as well, but also I, I would argue that at the same time, you could say that the, by creating its own national championship for division three, you're actually separating yourself a little bit from division one. I don't even think that that's that contradiction doesn't work. In, in the sense that, yes, during the season, you want to compete against Division One teams, but at the end of the season, you, want, it, it, you should have a fair competition against like teams. I, th I think you're both nodding your head, so this yeah. is good. But what, I, what I'm also curious about is um, whether you ever thought, um, as a Division Three coach, well, the trade-off is, would you rather participate in the Division Three National Championships or make it to the NCAA Division One Championships? It sounds to me like the, the trade-offs are in your favor for Division Three, but you tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, obviously, you would want to be the best team in the country no matter what division. But I think realistically, like, 
I played at LMU. We had off two months out of the year, and you would play all spring long, all summer long, come back in the fall, and you're already in shape. You're already ready to go. You're already better than last year. Um, and that's what D1 can give you. D- D3, we have four weeks in the spring, and then you're done until – the first half of the season is us just getting back in game shape. Yep. So while I would – would any coach, I think, would want to be the best team and make that Division One national championship if they could, um, me as a coach, I, I kind of have to have realistic goals for my team and, and what I think we're capable of. So um, – you know, the fact that we have something that's fair to play for on the Division three level is awesome. Um, but then I go back to my days growing up as a high school player, you know, having tournaments and playing local colleges that are clearly better than us was how we got better. So I think it helps our team by playing those D1 teams where a guy may make a move on you and you just go, what was that? And then the second quarter, they may make it again. You're like, oh, I can do this. And then bring it to the D3 level and do it on someone else. So I, I think there's values in us meshing and playing the D1, but I'm extremely happy that we have a fair competition for a national championship. Yeah, I would definitely be in a similar boat as Max in terms of um, if I had a preference at the end of the year, whether which one to compete for, I would definitely be very realistic and choose that Division Three national championship. And I just think the experience that our gentlemen will have from that is is going to be just much greater than than – the opposite end, right? I, I think that's definitely kind of where we are. So, you think it's making the sport more normal? And what I mean is, at the NCAA level, for most other sports, it's completely recognized. You have a Division One, Two, II, and Three national championship or a competition. Water polo is not that way, and that goes both. It cuts both ways. Like I remember talking yeah. to you at Austin, uh, in at Austin College, where yeah. you're recruiting players to say. Uh, and <laughs> this is a trouble we have in Texas, in particular. Like, oh, I want to play Division One. Like, well. If you go to Austin College, for example, you're going to play against a bunch of Division One teams. Like, and, and right. there's there's nothing like that. So um, I, that that's a, a matter of curiosity for me. Like, if you know, yeah, go ahead. You, I think you were trying to say something. My my biggest thing is like I just think it adds more pathways to to growth, right? And I think our biggest biggest focal point of of our sport, right, is at this point is getting more high school students opportunities to play at this level. And I think to give different divisions multiple pathways to have long-term postseason success. Um, we'll only encourage more institutions and, and programs to look at water polo to add, right? And ultimately, hopefully giving more and more students or, or more student athletes in the Midwest, East Coast, West Coast, all the everywhere, really uh, more, more avenues to play polo and, and really enjoy the sport that we all love. So that's kind of what my thought process is on that. I mean, and then hopefully we, you know, as a sport grows because of this national championship, it, it would get more normal where there's enough team for us to play. Yep. Be, you know, the division still three. have those levels of, you know, every division one school, you know, top or bottom, they're not all the same. So not all division three teams would be the same athletically, but at least it would be a similar range. You're not jumping as far. Um, and hopefully it grows enough where we have that different range of good and bad teams all in Division Three, and then we could separate. I don't think that would be a negative. Um, I think it would be a negative if we separated it now or anytime soon when there's such limited teams that it wouldn't be worth it. But to grow the sport, 
large enough in the division three that it would make a difference and have that range, then I, I would be all for it. Well, and I, I was at that, uh, um, D3 tournament and, and it was spectacular. I think that the whole atmosphere and, and Austin, you coming back to Whittier, um, unfortunately it wasn't a happy return. That Whittier team was, was, you know, fantastic. And, but to have two East coast teams competing, as you say, for a national championship is, is, I mean, what a great look for the sports, especially, you know, and, and you can look at years past uh, uh, Whittier and Pomona um, going to the NCAA D1 tournament. And, and, you know, it's not a competitive game when you're playing a, 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 a UCLA or a, a Cal or um, maybe even a USC. I think that Austin, you guys may have played USC that year that you went. So, you know, to have a competitive tournament, especially as, you know, you get the opportunity to narrow the gap. Um, with your Western counterparts through recruiting, through whatever, um, makes it so important. But this comes to the big question, open question, which is, will you have a season this year? Because, you know, uh, the CWPA has announced a plan to have the men play in January and February, and I guess part of March, and then have the women play. You guys don't even have women's teams, so that helps you in this case. But, but what's your feeling about that, especially – two things to consider. One, your athletes are not coming back for a fifth year of athletics, right? So there's no redshirting in your programs. And, and two, is it going to be a competitive season given the obstacles we've already discussed and getting your players ready to go? Well, I think, I think conference will be, will be difficult. I, 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 I didn't know that uh, MIT was actually bringing students back. We're, we're not there. I, I brought the, what, came out to my AD and she said, look, I'd love to tell you we'd be back and we'd be playing then, but I can't. So I don't even know if there is a season, I don't know if Hopkins will be involved at this point. Um, We're going to do whatever, you know, we're one of the highest, biggest research institutes in the world. So they've been studying COVID. They're setting out standards that, that they think, is the right path. And, and I have to follow that. Would I love to come back and play and have a season, whether it's modified or not? Absolutely. Um, but that being said, at this point, um, I don't have approval to, to be playing in, uh, in this January start session. So, you know, if this national championship um, still goes on and it's later in March, maybe we're back by February or, or something else um, where conference might be difficult starting in January when we might not have kids on campus and we have to do all our phases of individual workouts, clearing everyone, all of that. And before we can even play a scrimmage as a team, let alone start and play a game against another team. So I think it's an uphill battle, uphill battle, but you know, I'd absolutely, if, if we're clear to do it, would, would love to have a season. Yeah, we're, we're in a similar boat in a sense of, you know, we really want to, we, we did invite students back on campus, but in terms of um, how many cohorts of students we're able to bring back, like that, everything is so up in the air, especially in the spring. And so um, for us, our, our athletic director was very frank in terms of um, whenever it is deemed safe and necessary for us to resume um, not only athletics, but really to invite more kids back on campus. Like we're going to pick up with whatever season um, it is. So if, if that is this spring and we're able to invite more students back on campus, then most likely for us, the spring sports will be um, the first sports to, to start back up. And if, if, you know, realistically, or or if, if ultimately we have to wait until next fall for, for anybody to, 
feel that it's healthy and safe for us to participate, then that's kind of what our track is. But um, I would say in a similar boat that I don't have necessarily clearance um, right now to, to participate in that January to March um, season. Um, but again, competitively and, and uh, kind of where my mindset is, is absolutely. But, um, you know, there's obviously different hurdles and stuff that we have to make sure that, that we keep in, keep in mind. And obviously it's at the end of the day, the, the it's, it's about the safety, the, the health and safety of our, our student athletes, right? Like I was, I was talking to somebody the other day and, um, you know, obviously things have changed and I know New York's doing great, but like, would I have felt comfortable bringing my athletes down into New York in October? I can't tell you, I would honestly feel, yeah, say yes. Right. Like there's so many different factors that, that go into this. And I think that as we just keep going through, you know, as the weeks go by and we get more information about it, then, then we kind of take it in stride. Yeah. I think as coaches, we obviously want to coach, we want to be competing, um, but we have to trust in our Institute that they're going to do what's best for our student athletes in the long term and their health. And, we just have to go along with that. Um, yeah. and, and even though it's fighting instinct to want to just be like, no, let's <laughs> figure it out. You know, um, you know, we have to have faith in the process and, and fall in line with that. And again, you, you said it earlier, we're, we're such prestigious schools for a reason. And it's because they know what they're doing and, and they take the, the right paths most of the time to, to give our students success in life. Um, yeah. We have to trust that. I think we're probably going to let you go, but one thing has, did your paths cross as you were playing at Whittier and LMU? I think I'm a little old. I don't think so. I was there from 2007 to 2011 fall season. So I was 11 to 15. So oh, you yeah. just so missed each just other. Missed, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, unless Michael has anything else, I think we're, we're going to wrap this up, but I wanted to thank you uh, very much for your time. Thank, yeah, you, guys. No, thank you guys. That's it for today. We'll return next week with more of the Total Water Polo podcast. But thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all the podcasty things that you're supposed to do on most of the biggest distribution channels. We are there. So until next time, so long from Austin. WP Sports LLC.